For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today, I, my guest is across the pond, as they say, or as we say here in Canada anyways, over in Ireland. And she's a doctor, Dr. Melissa Kelly. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Hello from Ireland. And yes. we will get into um, my journey over here, definitely, because from my accent, you can tell that I I do not have an Irish accent. <laughs> yes, and you know what? That's so funny because I I had uh, I was watching some of your posts uh, this morning before we got started. Of course, it's late afternoon for you, and that's the first thing that stood out. I was like, you know, because when you scroll through and like I've been obviously you know watching you uh, before we connected, and then this was the first time that I turned the sound on. I'm like, what? No accent, you know? So it's kind of funny, yeah. Which will be part of your story, like you say, and also very uh, very cool that we caught you at this time because you are celebrating or you celebrated yesterday at time of recording your three year sober birthday. So congratulations! Thank you so much. I can't believe it's been three years. Somebody was asking me recently, like they're at the very beginning of their sobriety journey. I think they're like three or four months in, and they were like, "Do you just feel amazing all the time? Like you're three years sober. Life must be so great." And I was like, "It kind of just feels normal." <laughs> Yeah, right. It's weird. Like I did celebrate myself, but it was just a nice normal day. And I'm glad that that's the new normal, you know? Totally. Yeah, that's a good reflection, actually. And I'm sure what was that person's reaction when you said that to them? Like, is that kind of like, were they shocked or because, yeah, I could see where three months in, they'd be like, Wait, really, that's normal? Like, yeah, Um, I guess they felt a bit reassured that yeah. it's not going to feel like that. Like, early sobriety I always say it isn't how it feels for the rest of your journey it's like whenever you have like you first break up with somebody that's mm. not what a single life feels like because you're totally. still kind of in that recovery period but um yeah I think they just felt reassured that there is a point where it just feels like it's the new normal you know yeah absolutely absolutely so uh as we mentioned before we started the podcast this is going to come out uh, a little bit later so worth mentioning by the time it comes out it was so May 2nd is your sober birthday correct yeah it yeah. annoys me so much that it's not May 1st. And I think that's what tipped me over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> that I was, was like, that, to take like that's it. Off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so funny. That's that's too funny. Awesome. Well, you have a lot going on right now. And I, you know, the doctor in front of your name, that's amazing. You know, congrats on putting the work in for that. That's uh, you ended up uh, deciding through your own journey from what I'm gathering to steer yourself into uh, doing some sobriety coaching as well. You have your own podcast. Uh, you have uh, like a meetup for um, sober women, I believe that you facilitate as well. So amazing that you're giving back to the the community and so forth. But you know, you can you can verbalize it far better than I can. Um, I just want to start with that. Just like what is everything that you have going on, and just kind of like present times. Let's get a little snapshot of of what Melissa is doing right now. Yeah. So um, I am a coach for high achievers who want to change their drinking habits. And I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work. So I have a one-on-one -on -one coaching program, primarily women um, is who I work with. A lot of high achievers, a lot of perfectionism that we work through, um, relying on alcohol to be that reward at the end of the day. And 
and the external validation, because that's really what my story was. Um, I am Dr. Melissa Kelly, but I'm kind of like Ross from Friends. Like I'm not a medical doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I've got my PhD in consumer psychology. So I've been studying psychology for like 10 years, always wanted to be a researcher. And um, I'll just tell you a bit about how I ended up in Ireland, just so that it's not too confusing. But mm. both of my parents are Irish. They met in the US where I was born, where my brothers were born. We lived in Philadelphia. And then whenever I was eight years old, my parents decided to move over to Ireland again. It was right after 9-11, pretty shaken up, wanted to go be with the family. And we lived in Ireland for about five, six years before the recession hit and we moved back to the US. So there's all these like landmarks as to like why we moved, but we moved back to the same exact town oh, wow. <laughs> that we were living in. So Crazy. I like re-entered high school yes. and people were just like, didn't, don't we know you? Weren't yeah. you? with us in elementary school I was like yes it was me it's me but so that kind of landed itself and that's where my parents live now um they live in the U.S. and that's where I did high school and my undergrad degree and then I always wanted to be a researcher I was always um I always loved that side of psychology I didn't necessarily want to become a therapist I studied psychology for my undergrad but I found it very difficult to get a research position at the university that I went to. In order to even get a voluntary position, you needed experience. So I was already behind. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't get a research job whenever I finished college, which I was really sad about. And I ended up taking a job as a behavioral health therapist for a child with autism, which mm -hmm. was rewarding in its own sense. But I didn't want to be working in, in a school. I loved the child that I was working with. But it just didn't pay very well. It wasn't really what I was passionate about. And I didn't find it to be something that fulfilled me. Um, and so during that time, that's kind of where my drinking took a turn. And we can get into that a little bit later. But I basically had um, a big confrontation with the person that I was living with. I was in a toxic relationship at the time. It was just a very rocky year that year after college and I decided then that I would take myself to Ireland to do my master's in mm. research methods um, with, within the realm of psychological science so that I could finally get my research job and I was only meant to go for a year but I ended up loving it over here and I met a man of course the way it always goes mm -hmm. and I my best friend lives here and the majority of my family lives here aside from oh. my immediate family they're all over the place here in Ireland and so I decided that I wanted to stay and I ended up staying. I got an amazing position as a researcher for a top university up in Belfast, which is technically Northern Ireland, which is technically the UK. Um, and I got a, also to do my PhD up there for free, which was very cool. So that's 20, end of 2018. That's when that happened. And I moved to Belfast end of 2019. And that's kind of, I was doing my PhD whenever the pandemic hit and that's when I quit drinking which was three years ago it was like six mm. weeks into the pandemic and so that's really my story of you know whenever I quit drinking I was finally able to reflect back on my career and I kind of realized that I had constantly been chasing those degrees the master degree the PhD trying to convince other people to believe something to be true about myself that I didn't believe to be true about myself which was mm that I was smart enough, good enough, professional enough, just looking for someone to, to tell me and validate me, like you're doing a good job because I wasn't very good at telling myself that I was doing a good job. And so that's really a lot of the work that I do with my one-on-one -on -one clients too, is like 
figuring out how to start speaking to yourself in a way that has more compassion and curiosity instead of judgment and beating yourself up about things and um, really just learning how to develop and cultivate that relationship with yourself so that you don't need the external validation to make yourself feel better. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. I love all of that. Um, I love how you use your own story as well. I, I think it's just such a, um, there's just something about that to be able to like explain it and articulate it in such a way that you've experienced it yourself. And then you're able to then teach it to others, right? It's, a, it's such a strong thing. So yeah, very cool. And it, you're, um, I think there's quite a few people that had that, um, you know, the pandemic kind of was like the pocket of time or the pocket of like, just, you know, uh, non-socializing this, the pause button was hit. And I think a lot of people reflected on their drinking. There's quite a few people that I've talked to that have had their sober dates at some point during the pandemic, especially the early on. So it's interesting that you had that six weeks in. So, and I really want to get into yeah. that before we do though, I want to give you the floor to take the clock back as far as you care to go. You gave us a little hints at like some of the, the jumping, jumping around, moving that and, and so forth. Uh, but yeah, if you want to fill in some more of the details that way, connect some of the dots and just tell us a little bit about just however, if you want to do upbringing or pick up, pick it up uh, wherever you want to. And I'd really interested to see where your drinking career was earlier on and where it took you and yeah, like just fleshing out what, uh, what caused you to end your, uh, your drinking in the first place. So, uh, the floor is yours. I, I just want to say I love that phrase my drinking career because that's really what it feels like right? <laughs> I feel like I retired <laughs> yes retired drinker yeah same here yeah, yeah. I, I hear that <laughs> that is complete <laughs> yes. um yeah as I said I moved around a lot and so I kind of always had that story that like I didn't belong that I was different that I was weird I was always the new kid I was always the odd one out and I think that kind of carried throughout high school and throughout me growing up as a teenager, whenever I did first start drinking, I was probably towards the end of high school. And it wasn't like I had one beer, I had a lot to drink and got very drunk from the minute from the very first time that I mm. drank. And it was very much a way for me to see that that voice in my head was quiet. Like I didn't have that voice being like, you're weird. Everyone's making fun of you. You're different. And it felt like I just slipped into a second skin where I was like, oh, this feels really good. I'm able to finally be myself. That's the kind of story that I was telling myself, that I was finally being myself. I could talk to people. I had the courage to speak to people. And it was honestly really fun for the first few years. Like I had a lot of fun. I had some, you know, good times with my friends. And that kind of carried through until college, I'd say. What we normally did, me and my friend group, we would I, we would look forward to drinking every weekend. It would kind of be what we talked about. We looked forward to it. What are you going to wear? Like it was a very positive experience. And of course, there were times where I took it too far, or one of my friends took it too far. But we were all drinking basically the same, binge drinking every weekend during college, and it was very normalized. So I didn't think that I had like a problem or anything like that at the time. And it, as I was saying, like it it wasn't until that year after college where things started taking a turn. I had turned 21 and I started like picking up a six pack after class to go home and drink and do my homework. And it was just a novelty to have. I also towards the end of college started working as a server and a manager at a bar and restaurant in mm. Philadelphia. 
And so that played a big part in my drinking career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I yes. <laughs> yeah, because it's very normalized. Um, I started, whenever I turned 21, I was able to drink at the bar too. Um, you know, people would drink after their shift. And I started towards, I think my senior year, missing a couple of lectures here and there and having hangovers. Still didn't really think it was that big of a deal. I was still getting really good grades. And I also met someone, um, sorry, there's a tractor going by. Yeah, <laughs> Irish one. <laughs> oh, classic. I love it. Yeah, you're getting the real immersive experience exactly. probably. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's tremendous. Um, but I met someone through working at the restaurant um, who became a very good friend of mine, who we basically bonded over our ability to and love for drinking a lot. Mm. And we bonded over that and decided um, whenever I finished college, we would move in together. We'd get a house in the city in Philadelphia. And I don't want to get too much into the details of that friendship because we're no longer friends now. It actually didn't end very well. Mm -hmm. But she was essentially, I, I really, as I said, I really struggled that year after college with my mental health and just kind of feeling lost, was in a job that I didn't like. I had a health issue as well. And that's when I started, um, I entered into a relationship that was very unhealthy. And that person that I was with was introduced to me by that friend. And mm. so it was just a very weird situation. So um, I ended up moving in with her and we were drinking all the time. And then she was gaslighting my mental health and in the state, like telling me that I had a problem with drinking because there were a few times where I would come home on a weeknight really drunk and, you know, leave a mess in the kitchen or something. And yeah. she would tell me that I had a problem with drinking. And then in the same breath say, do you want to go get a drink now? It was just very unhealthy situation. Eventually it got to the point where I confronted her. Unfortunately, I, I was very drunk whenever I confronted her and told her that I couldn't live there anymore. Um, she had also moved her boyfriend into our home at the time which I didn't really necessarily mind because I did get on well with him but he was a wine salesman Gosh. and it's like the best yeah. case scenario he would always right. have all these really lovely wines in our house and so he would be like you can drink these that we've opened to give to different restaurants to test them and this is what's left you can have it and so I just started picking up all these really unhealthy habits like drinking all day on Saturday, drinking all day on Sunday, which is not normally something that I would have done. And um, yeah, like just having wine after work because it's there and all, all of that. So ended up telling her that I couldn't live there anymore. Ended the toxic relationship that I was in as well that I don't feel like getting into. But, totally, um, yeah, yeah. I ended up moving back home with my parents. So that was the summer after I, the summer, after the first year I was out of college. And that's when I decided that I was going to go do my master's in Ireland. And in a way I was like, this is the geographical cure. This is going to fix me. Um, and whenever I did have that confrontation with my roommate, I took two weeks off of drinking after that because that really scared me. Mm -hmm. And um, like my parents had to come pick me up. I think I was 22, 23 at the time. My parents had to come into Philadelphia and pick me up because I was just not in a good place. Um, quite scary. But I ended up moving back in with my parents and decided that I was going to go to Ireland to have this fresh start, which I think I did. Like I definitely 
drank a lot less whenever I moved over to Ireland. I was doing my master's, so it was like I couldn't drink during the week because I had so much going on. Yeah. But I was still over drinking on the weekends and drinking more than I wanted to. And having, and then it became the anxiety the day after drinking just became unbearable. And I kind of lived, so that was 2017. I kind of lived in this cycle for three years of telling myself that I was going to take a month off of drinking because from the two weeks that I had taken off in that summer, I knew how much better I felt. Mm. I knew that my life, my anxiety was so much better without it. I felt so much better without drinking. And I couldn't shake that knowing once I had experienced that. And I had stayed in that cycle for three years of trying to quit drinking like every Monday being like, right, this is the month that I'm going to quit, or this is the week that I'm not going to drink, or this is this weekend, I'm definitely not drinking, only to find myself drinking that weekend. And then I was just basically stuck in that cycle for three years. And that's kind of what happened with regards to me finally quitting. So I quit for two weeks in January of 2020. But I couldn't I couldn't make it past two weeks. That was the longest that I could do. Mm. And then I quit for two weeks in March. And then we know what happened in the middle of March of 2020. Yeah. And so I just went back to drinking. And then for the first six weeks of the pandemic, I told myself every week that I was going to take a week off. But I found myself drinking again every single Friday. I would be drinking wine and I would stay up till like 4 a.m. to FaceTime my friends in America because Ireland mm. is five hours ahead. Right. And wake up with a horrible hangover every every Saturday in those six weeks and then have anxiety for the entire week. It took me like four or five days just to get back to baseline. Mm. And then the final day that I woke up, it was a Saturday, woke up with a hangover. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I was actually crying because I had gotten sick. And that was kind of something that had started happening more and more. Like no matter how much I drank, it was just mm. physically my body couldn't take it anymore. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I was just like, what are you doing? And it, it, I had always said that to myself. I was like, what are you doing to yourself? Whereas in the past, that voice was kind of a judgmental voice, a shameful voice. But this time it was like a voice that was coming from a place of love and care. And it was like, mm. what are you doing? Like, come on, we got to figure this thing out. It was more compassionate voice. Yeah. And I didn't know at the time that that was going to be the last time that I was hungover or the last night that I drank. Um, but it was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. Thanks for sharing that story. It's a, uh, yeah. What I love about it, I'm sure you found it as well is like you, when you hear people's stories, there's always like elements that you yourself can relate to. You can hear yourself in another person's story, like parts of it anyways. And then there's other parts that are just like, oh, wow. And, and it just, it helps kind of expand my, uh, knowledge of, of like this addiction and, and recovery and so forth. So I really enjoy you sharing that with me. So thank you. I actually haven't shared those particular things on a podcast before. I don't think really. So well, yeah. Thanks. I honored that you, uh, that you would, uh, do yeah, just let your guard down, so to speak, and just, yeah, show up like that. So thank you very much. Yeah. We went real far back. So yeah, my yeah, drinking, yeah, it was, it was weird. Like I'd say the worst my drinking was, was around that time, 2017. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah, the actual amount I was drinking and how I was feeling. Whereas yeah. within the last year to six months of my months of my drinking, looking at it, it wasn't that bad. Cause I was drinking less frequently. I was drinking yeah. less because mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to stop. Like I was slowly cutting down. Um, and so that's usually just what I talk about, but yeah, going back, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's cool. Right. It's like, you know, I have that whole origin story and you can kind of see it coming and yeah, like you have the different phases or different stages of it. Right. So yeah, it's an important share. So appreciate it. I want to get into, uh, you know, some of the things that you've talked about here and it's like fairly apparent just for me talk, talking to you and, you know, reading your, your bio and such like the high achiever thing, the perfectionism, you know, how that shows up your podcast is, is, has a bit of a, a nuance to it. As far as the recovery story, it's like how, uh, you interact with like how alcohol is interacted with your career and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm sure if I'm paraphrasing correctly, but so I want to get into like that whole idea of like the achiever before, actually, before that, I'm going to step even further back. When you talked about, as soon as you said, you started working at a restaurant, I was like, oh, I know where this is going, right? And then you mentioned it. It's like, it's such a part of the culture, right? And I worked at a, a grocery store for 20 years. And that was a big part of it too. It was like a little bit of rock and roll lifestyle, especially when I started. Like I started when I was 16 years old. It was still the Wild West. It was all about like, after you have your, finish your shift, go out, yeah. smoke a doobie, have a couple beers, you know? So, and I imagine like I, if the f- friends that I've had that have worked at restaurants, it's like that times five like it's their drink sometimes they're drinking on the job you know what i mean uh depending on the restaurant so what was that like as far as uh how did that change your identity i guess is like you're working in that in uh, the restaurant industry yeah it, it really did you know i really did form part of my identity working there now that you mentioned that i thought i was so cool i thought the people that i worked with were, were so cool it was all these alternative people Um, it was like a bar restaurant it's closed now but it was like a family run restaurant that had been open bar restaurant had been open for like 30 years the staff was like family like these people that I hung out with all the time and um it was just so fun to be able to like I would um I would cycle to work and cycle home drunk all the time which looking back my mom would be like Melissa what are, what are you doing you can't be doing that just get a taxi home because I would be going through North Philadelphia which is not the safest place in the world gotcha but it really did like I, I just sometimes I do look back on that with such nostalgia and so fondly because for a very long time and a very large piece of that it was really fun it was exciting it was an adventure And I could see now looking back that a lot of those people working there definitely have their own struggles with their relationship with alcohol and somebody that I was working with, actually two people that I worked with there were the first sober people that I met because there's a lot of sobriety in that industry as well, because Ah, people go to the other side of the coin. Sure. And um, so I was, I had never really experienced or maybe I had in my childhood, but I just wasn't aware of somebody who had quit drinking. And at the time I was like, that's the silliest thing in the world. Totally. amazing. Yeah. Right. Why would you quit that? Yeah. 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 So interesting. I like when you the the magic word there, nostalgia. And I think like, I just crossed my four years uh, in April. So I am very much, thank you. I, uh, I've, you know, I'm starting to let my guard down as far as being able and I, I appreciate what you're saying and you know some people that are maybe early on in their sobriety are going to hear you reflecting back on something with with nostalgia and be like oh 
because uh, like I know for myself, I, I wouldn't allow myself to be nostalgic about it because then as soon as I did, I would backslide very quickly because I'm like, actually, yeah, that was pretty cool. Let's do it again, you know? Um, so I'm thinking that like I had my guard up and now it's like the pendulum has swung where I'm just like totally like sober, not even thinking about, you know, my past experiences as being fun and adventures. And now the pendulum is swinging kind of somewhere in the middle where I can actually look back and realize, hey, with like you mentioned, the, the compassion, I can look back at myself. I was a shy kid. I used it for a certain reason. Um, and I can look back on it with the compassion instead of this, like pushing it down and like, don't think about it. And like, shh, you know what I mean? So I like how you're saying, yeah, nostalgia is like, uh, did you find that you were able to have that, uh, sense of nostalgia early in your sobriety or has that come with time with your, your sobriety and recovery? Oh no, that's very recent. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it sounds same, similar then. Yeah. 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 I kind of blocked a lot of things out I think yeah. um, even just from making that move to Ireland just blocking everything out for a while and then it all just comes back doesn't it but yeah Definitely. in the early days I had to do I, I like to say that I've I've ruined drinking for myself because I've went there so many times in my mind oh. about like rewriting that story around yeah. alcohol where I know that I wouldn't even be able to enjoy it because yes. I'm so conditioned now to whenever I think or romanticize drinking, like even now when I'm sharing that with you about how I am quite nostalgic for those days, yeah. this thought after that is usually something along the lines of like, yeah, but we're looking back here with rose tinted glasses. Like there were obviously problems going on then. Like I wasn't in a great relationship and I had no clue what I wanted to do with my career. Like there were so many other things that were going on at the time. And I think what I need to remember is I'm not nostalgic for what happened. I'm nostalgic for how I felt, which was connected to people. Bingo. And yeah. I think that that's a very important thing to differentiate. And that's something yeah. that I work a lot with my clients on is I was speaking with a client the other day and she was talking about how her and her family love going to wineries and that's a big thing for her. And I was tell I was asking her, like, what do you actually enjoy about going to the wineries? Is it the wine or is it how you feel when you're there? Is it feeling connected to the people while you're there? Mm. And I think it's really important to point out to yourself the difference. Yeah, that's yeah, very, very well put. Especially uh, when we are talking about it in this context, it's worth worthwhile to get a little gr more granular about it as as far as what you mentioned. So for me, like for me to look back on it, it was um like for me to the ability to have the connection, absolutely, because of always feeling like a bit of an outcast as well myself. And uh it that gave me the idea that I could be more connected with people for sure. The other one for me as well is this like carefree. And actually this will be a good segue into my next question. The uh the carefree nature, because generally speaking, I fancied myself as like a high achiever as well there was a degree of perfectionism so when I could have that two hours of time to just be like carefree and just like ah fuck yeah. it like this is how I'm gonna be I don't even have to worry about that stuff right now part of me is jealous of being able to do that having said that I've now cultivated that with different healthier things you know what I mean like meditation breath work things of this nature so I'm just yeah, I kind of curious was that a little bit of it as well for yourself like getting back to the whole idea of like the perfectionism and the achiever was like alcohol sort of a, a release mechanism for that as well for yourself oh yeah definitely I felt like I was living a double life sometimes mm. 
because yeah. during the week, especially whenever I was doing my PhD and working for that university, it was a very prestigious uh, career that I had. I was, it was a, an EU funded research project where I was basically getting paid a very good salary to travel, do research and do my PhD alongside of all of that. Nice. And with that came a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of mm. stress, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of actually loneliness because I was oftentimes working by myself. I was writing all of the time and I worked in an office where everyone else in my office, they had lab-based work to do. So they were never at their computers. They were in the lab mm. and I had a computer-based project. I was just writing. Um, so I was just there the whole time alone. I had moved to Belfast to do this. And so I only knew like one other person there who was my cousin and it was just a very lonely time. And so at the weekend, I could kind of turn that off mm. and I could just be silly, Melissa, like carefree, joke, go crazy, um, go drink until three o'clock in the morning, do something stupid, whatever it was. And obviously I had to deal with the repercussions of that, but for a very long time, I felt like I was two different people constantly, yeah. like during the week, feeling like I was going to get found out yeah. that I was going to, like someone was going to see me out one night and I wouldn't remember it. And yeah. I just lived in constant fear that somebody mm. had known that about me, that yeah. like I was out giving a presentation and I would look out at everyone and be like, my first thought would be, have any of them seen me? drunk around the streets of Belfast recently it was right. horrible and that was wow. what it was like in my other job too as a behavioral health therapist because at the weekends I was going out and getting pretty drunk as well in Philadelphia where I worked so just constantly living in fear you know yeah yep I do know yes absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> not like that exact like you know nuance but absolutely for sure yeah I, I think a lot of people relate with that well, I want to get into like how you're helping some folks now with this like experiential knowledge, like the things that you've been through also coupled with the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, scholastic background that you have, you know, and now you're helping specific. I love the like little turn or little twist on the, the, uh, the recovery coach thing of like, you we work with professionals with high, you know, people that have high expectations of themselves that have, you know, a lot of balls in the air, so to speak, but yet just. They can't get their, you know, you know what together mm -hmm. with the drinking. So um, when you're reaching out for those types of people or those people are reaching out to you, yeah, like what is the process with that? I mean, you've, you touched on it earlier. You said it's like, I, I gather it's a lot of like inner dialogue work, like how you're speaking to yourself. Um, just so, yeah, a little bit of, of elaboration on like what you specifically work with people on. Yeah, so the person that comes to me is typically somebody who has it all going on and has that belief of like, if I'm so smart, why can't I quit drinking? It's like I... the one thing that they just can't figure out, which is very similar to my own story. And my background is in psychology. So I use a lot of the concepts um, based in cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. So understanding how your emotions are caused by the way that you're thinking, whether that's subconscious thought patterns that you've carried out throughout your life or intentional thought processes that you can create to create mm. new ways of feeling about different situations. And the work that I usually do is around dismantling their desire to drink, mm. which is um, coming from those stories that they have about alcohol. And a lot of the times what people will do whenever they're trying to quit drinking 
is they'll only focus on changing the behavior. They'll just try to stop drinking. But behavior change is so much more complex than just changing your behavior because our behavior as humans is motivated by how we're feeling, right? That behavior of drinking is motivated by our desire to drink on some level, whether it's conscious or subconscious. Mm. And that desire is coming from the way that you're thinking. And so what a lot of people will do is cut out alcohol and keep their desire to drink which means that they're relying on willpower. They're resisting those urges and those temptations all day long, which willpower is a finite resource. It it exhausts over time. And eventually like that amount of willpower just gets shorter and shorter and shorter until you just give in and drink. And there's a lot of resistance. There's a lot of feeling like you're missing out on something that you're being deprived because the story you still have is that alcohol is something that you want, but you're not allowed. And so I help my clients get to a place where they don't need to rely on willpower to stop drinking because you don't need willpower to stop yourself from doing something that you don't want to do. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. like if there were cigarettes all over the place here, I don't need willpower to stop myself from picking up all of those cigarettes and smoking them because I've done a lot of, well, not even a lot of work, but I've made decisions that I don't smoke. I'm not someone who smokes. There's an identity thing in there too. Yeah. And I know all of the repercussions that can happen if I smoke cigarettes. So I don't pick up cigarettes because I don't have a desire to smoke cigarettes. And so when you're working on dismantling your desire, you're taking a look at your relationship with alcohol, the identity that you have of yourself in relation to alcohol, and all of those stories that you're telling yourself about alcohol that's making you want to drink. So that's really what I take a look at and then start creating and challenging those beliefs being like, is that really true? some stories that people will hang on to is um alcohol helps me relax Mm. we can question that and be like okay if alcohol really helps you relax would you feel hungover the next day yeah like a massage helps you relax do you get you know sick the next day after you have a massage (laughs) hopefully hopefully not (laughs) hopefully not yeah so you're missing out yeah big time yeah, I love that. That's super cool. I want to get a little bit into like, just like the word identity as well. Like what, it, what is uh, identity to you and how would you like describe it? Because like to me, it's like, you know, it's a series of, it's based on a series of values, like pillars, if you will, of like characteristics that I champion about myself. You know what I mean? And then like within that, I kind of, that's like the framework for my identity. My identity is um, sort of a mix of, you know, like my intuition as well as uh, absolutely like the thoughts that I have and who, who, how, my perception of how I'm connected with my family, my friends, many different things. I'm curious what, what you look at as your identity and then how you then teach it or you know tweak it with other people. That's a very interesting question. The first thing that comes to mind for me is social identity. I always mm. tell people that I have a social identity crisis because oh. whenever I'm in America, I'm the Irish person, but whenever I'm in Ireland, I'm the American person. Right. It's very weird. Yeah, And gotcha. that's definitely been something that I've grappled with, um, probably still am grappling with uh, throughout yeah. my life is yeah. who am I, where am I from? Yeah. That question, yeah, that wow. social identity piece is the first yeah. thing that comes to mind. But when you were talking about, I think I really agree with what you were saying about identity. It really just is a collection of beliefs you have about yourself, I think, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a collection of beliefs that you hold about yourself in relation to your world, the way that you perceive yourself in your life. And I think for a really long time, I didn't think that that could change. 
I didn't mm-hmm. think that identity was malleable, but mm-hmm. it totally is. And it's not something that you snap your fingers and it happens overnight. It's something that is created or changed over time. And I've changed my identity many times. I was <laughs> the party girl. I yeah. was the person who was struggling to quit drinking. I was the newly sober person. Yeah. Right. Now, I, and then for a while, like I kind of, whenever I left academia after quitting drinking to start my own business, originally I started a career coaching business, helping mm. other academics transition into non-academic careers and deal with confidence and different things like that. Cause that was something that I had really worked through as I was transitioning out of academia. And I really took a step back from the sober community, I think, within that mm. year. I think that was around the second year. The first year of sobriety, I was all in. I loved the sober community and I was in every day, looking at it every day. And I think I just needed to take a step back mm-hmm. from it for a little while to kind of figure out who I was separate from that. Yeah. If that, that makes sense. sense. I'm not sure if that's something you've ever experienced. Yep. And now I've re-entered it and now I'm Melissa, the sobriety coach who's helping other people change their habits. And so I'm, I'm still in it, but it's for a different reason, which is very cool. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love all that. When you say about like beliefs, like I'm I'm having a, um, I love these like over time, like words that I knew as like you learn in elementary school and, and I'm finding like the, the more curious I am and I'm definitely a lifelong learner that words, I start kind of like reinvestigating them. You know what I mean? So beliefs for me now is, ah, it can be a double-edged sword, right? Because if I have a belief about myself, that's not really true. That's what we get into what you're talking about, the stories that people tell themselves, right? Or the justifications that we can come up with. And I get the impression that you're there to reflect back to the person. For the example I'll use is the one that you just said about, um, oh, it helps me relax. And like, well, does it really, you know what I mean? Like challenging that belief about alcohol, not necessarily about yourself, but I'm sure there's like a belief in there that like, I deserve to relax. I, you know what I mean? So yeah, I'm just kind of curious about that. Like just the word beliefs, like what is that? word sort of mean to you these days as well I think it's so important to check in with yourself and see what you're believing Mm. because that's how we filter information as humans our brain's always Mm. looking for evidence that what we believe is true yes and we have so much information to process in our brains at any one time right so we literally have to signal to our brain what is important information to process and we do Mm. that through our beliefs that we hold and the thoughts that we have smart and it's like if you were in a crowd of people and everyone was talking and somebody said soda computer you wouldn't really pick it up but if they said matt you would hear it because your brain knows that that's important information to have and your brain is always going to try and prove those beliefs that you have to be true because your brain wants to solve the problem it wants to be correct Mm. and so whenever you're holding on to that belief, let's just say of like, I can't relax without alcohol. You're speaking that belief into existence because your brain's going to find all the reasons as to why you can't relax without alcohol. It's going to be like, well, every time I try to sit down, someone's calling me or I can't stop thinking about work every time that I sit down that I want to relax, whatever stories, right? So your brain's like, yep, that's true. That's true. That's true. Mm. And that's why it's so important to create those new beliefs or transition into those new beliefs some a, tr- a trick that I have that I use with my one-on-one coaching clients is a ladder belief or a ladder thought. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to go from 
I can't relax without alcohol to I don't need alcohol to relax. For some people, that might be a very big jump Mm -hmm. because your brain's going to call BS and be like, no, this isn't true. Mm -hmm. So something that you can start saying is I'm working on believing that I don't need alcohol to relax. And that way you're priming your brain to be like, okay, we are working on this. This is something that we're doing. So it's a way, and then it'll start finding evidence of that. It's like, oh, I was journaling and I figured this thing out, or I tried to do a meditation and that went this way. And so maybe I want to try it differently the next time, but we're working on this. So it's so important to pay attention to what you're believing and what you're telling yourself, because ultimately that creates the results that you're getting in your life. Yeah. hundred percent. I love that one. I'm going to start using that. The, um, Another one that I, I found very effective is like, if you say, I, I can't do something and then put yet on the end, man, yeah. it changes the energy in my body. When I say that just the yet, I'm like, gives me that like a little bit of hope, a little bit like rebellious, like, yeah, yet I'm going to, I am going to get to this at one point, you know? So like that idea of what did you call it? Is it ladder? Yeah. Like a ladder or a bridge. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like our, mm-hmm. uh, like a bridge statement. Is that what you would call mm-hmm. it? Okay. Very cool. I love that. Yeah. Um, Cause like you're climbing your way in between the two. Instead of doing this long jump, you're like, yeah, climbing or walking your way into something. And then your yeah. brain will, your brain will be primed. Like you mentioned to, to be able to believe mm-hmm. it. Yeah. There's like, it's like when you, when, when you were talking there, you mentioned like the brain, I always think it's like the brain's like a Google search engine, right? So you'll put like whatever belief you have in there. And of course it's going to support that. If that's what you're inputting it, like all these articles will come up to support it. So like, yeah. So uh, yeah. Interesting. Um, the confirmation bias aspect of it, I guess. Right. Yeah. We can, we can find anything to be like, well, I'll just Google like this with a specific set of words. And of course it's going to generate. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I was right. You know what I mean? When yeah. I saw this, like, yeah, nonsense. Um, yeah. You know, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we got about 10 minutes left here. So I want to give you uh, this opportunity to, if anybody's like reaching out, wants to reach out to you, uh, if you have anything you want to promote, is there anything coming up uh, for you, you know, by the time, you know, this airs, you know, in the next few months, uh, anything at all that you'd like to, uh, to share with uh, the audience? Yeah, well, I have a one-on-one coaching practice where I usually work with high achieving professionals on changing their drinking habits. That can look like going completely sober, trying to cut down, trying to stop over drinking. I work with a lot of people with a lot of different goals. I really meet you where you're at with your relationship with alcohol and your goals that you're trying to achieve. Um, Don't use labels if that's not your thing. Don't count days if that's not your thing. So if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can just go to my website, melissakellyphd.com. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok. TikTok is where I do the majority of my um, social media posting. I found an amazing community over there. So definitely check that out. I post videos pretty much every single day. I also have my podcast, Working Sober, which Matt is going to be a guest on very yes, soon. Yes. So definitely check that it. episode out because that'll be live mm-hmm. <laughs> before oh, this cool. episode comes Yeah, right? Out. It will be. Yeah, curiously <laughs> enough, yes. <laughs> yeah, so that's a podcast where I speak with different um, people who have changed their career trajectory off the back of quitting drinking and found a lot of professional success and fulfillment off the back of quitting drinking because that's really truly related to my story quitting drinking was really the catalyst that helped me go from researcher to business owner finding the confidence to do that was definitely a byproduct of quitting drinking and what else am I doing 
Oh, I am the founder of Sober Girls Ireland. So if you're an, a girl living in Ireland, if you're sober or sober curious, definitely check us out. You can follow us on Instagram at Sober Girls Ireland. We also have a private Facebook group and we host in-person and virtual events in Ireland. We just had our very first one in Dublin last week, which was super fun. We went out to afternoon tea nice. and I started that in January. So that's fairly new. Um, but I saw that we really needed a sober community here. Um, I was super inspired by Millie Gooch from Sober Girl Society. I don't know if you mm. know her over in the UK. Oh, not sure. I'll look um, her up though. Yeah, she, she has a book and everything. And she oh, cool. started an amazing community over in the UK, um, hosting in-person events, virtual events. And that's kind of what I modeled this community after. Yeah. and hoping to have more events coming very very soon and trying to think what else I think that's it for now yeah <laughs> for now. That's right. who knows yeah. by the time this comes out right by that time you'll be like a published author and you know what I mean all oh, this God, other no. stuff yeah I... okay. okay no book no book in the future no. <laughs> um I'm not sure if you can see my thesis sitting back there that's like 350 oh, okay. pages no, it's like down there. Oh, there we go. I got it. I got it. Um, yeah. So I'm just actually dipping my toe back into writing because I was scarred after writing that thing. Um, <laughs> okay. I have to say. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> if, you, if you ever want to learn about the general public's risk perception of harmful environmental chemicals, definitely yeah. go check it out, um, which is really <laughs> yeah. actually closely pertains to what I'm doing now, like learning and, and addressing how behavior is sparked through different attitudes and awarenesses of different yeah. chemicals, harmful chemicals. Um, but I also just started, and you might be interested in this actually, mm -hmm. I started a Substack for my podcast mm. okay. as a way to be more interactive as well. So definitely go Smart. check that out too. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have all that in the show notes as well, because there's a lot to uh, to <laughs> take in with Dr. Melissa here. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's be like half the show notes will be uh, all the different things you have going on. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was a fantastic conversation. And yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to having the, 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 the script flipped. Yeah, yeah, I'll be. Uh, and then I'm on the hot seat next time. So yeah, it was a pleasure yeah. getting to know you. Thanks so much, Dr. Melissa. Thanks so much, Matt. I really loved chatting with you. And I look forward to talking to you again very soon. You bet.